Hi there, this is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from Key Largo, uh, currently a hurricane-free Key Largo. If you're not familiar with the Keys bartender podcast, podcast about bartending and Keys life. Well, it's been a busy week. A busy, busy, busy week. I had my 60th birthday, did a little parasailing on Sunday. Uh, I think I mentioned that. That was a good time. And uh, yesterday, I went to uh, the mainland for a operation. I'll talk about that a little later. I want to thank a bunch of people up at uh, uh, Baptist uh, Maine, the Maine Hospital in Miami. It's actually at the Cardio cardiovascular institute i'll thank them a little later make that quick and uh what else i know i wanted to talk about something else to the peanut butter martina the the peanut butter martini and hurricane idalia so first of all every so often i'm not i i have some i guess access to the outer not that I'm a hermit or any shit like that but I have uh, I'm not, I, I, want, I don't want to say the wrong thing there's a little notoriety associated with my name or at least with the name Keys Bartender since I've been doing it for you know for about seven years what it, let me see 2000 was it 2017 2016 I think it was 2017, so it's going to go on. It's going for about seven years, right? It's six and a half years, the podcast. So after a while, I'm, I'm getting a larger audience, larger audience, gradually, gradually, gradually. And I get reached out. Originally, when I first started doing it, I got, I, I got calls from and con, you know, emails from people that are making bartending magazines with recipe books and and maybe some people call me up to be on their podcast. I don't get that too much now. I think because I'm so I got interviewed twice for two different podcasts and one of them they never even. The guy thought I was the owner of a restaurant when he found out. It was an entrepreneurial show and a show about entrepreneurs. I don't want The guy has owns warehouses. He owns warehouses and he talks about business, which I guess if you're in the warehouse business, it'd be kind of exciting. But the show was about exciting as you think a guy who owns warehouses would make a podcast about. So we did there, and the questions were just as exciting as you'd think. So I guess he, we, we never, I mean, the producer said eventually he put out the show and stuff like that, and it's been like two, two and a half years. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to be releasing that episode. He needs to have, you know, needs to have someone who either writes a book or sells vitamins or, you know, I'm pick any, anything concrete. When I say concrete, I mean the substance concrete or cement. You know, if you own a cement company, he wants to have you, but he's not really interested in talking to the, I mean, I thought he wanted to interview me as the host of the Keys Bartender podcast. At the time, I did had 200 episodes. And he wanted to talk about Key's life and stuff like that, but he didn't want to. And uh, well, it's all well and good. I don't mind. I interview a lot of different people. And just because it's so eclectic down here, every so often I get someone who 
uh, involved with keys during COVID. I interviewed someone, a dominatrix, uh, or less, oh God, I forgot her name though. Real sweet woman from Scotland, a dominatrix, yeah. I did that. I had a couple politicians. I had the mayor of Key West. I had uh, a reporter down here. So it's been exciting. So I've gotten reached out to again on an email from uh, a website called abarabove.com. And I guess their bar supply thing. And it sounds like, you know, great stuff, but they wanted a recipe. And when someone mentioned, why would you just give up your recipe for a drink? And I said, I'm not looking to copyright any recipes. And it's very difficult to do that. Kind of, you know, you have to really, I guess you'd have to sell it to maybe a liqueur company or or a liquor company. Liqueur, notice how I differentiated. Most liqueur companies only sell liqueurs and most liquor companies only sell liquors. And usually it's one type of brand like vodka, rum, whiskey for liquors. Uh, liqueur could run the gambit. So I got this, uh, I sent them a recipe and then they wanted to get a picture and I didn't have a picture ready. And here I am going in for my surgery on Wednesday, which I'll talk about a little later. Um, but they... Uh, they wanted a picture and they needed staged and be, and I, you know what I did do it and I just don't remember where I, I I do remember where I kept the photo I think I deleted it because I had taken a picture and I posted it on our social media website for the restaurant I work at the catch <clears throat> and it was a good picture you know I had all the right ingredients for it and all that stuff I mean ingredients for a good picture it had a well defined. Uh, view of the glass with the, the you can see the garnishment and the glass itself and it, the presentation was nice and I had posted it and I thought oh that would be great I posted it it's going to be there forever and I don't have to worry about it well I I can't seem to find it now it should be forever right you thought it should be forever when you post something on the internet and it, it's one of the fallacies of it I figure if I have all these things on social media and pictures. That's the one good thing for people that use social media is that your your content lives in the cloud. And if it's shared and it's on account and all that good stuff, you're going to have it permanently. It doesn't matter if you lose your computer or anything like that. So I did share the peanut butter martini and I sent a picture of it. And it wasn't a particularly good picture. I got to go and stage another one. And I don't really want it. I guess I have martini glasses here. I could just go and do it. Boy, silly me. I, I didn't even think that. I could just mix one up here. And uh, I hope it comes out right. Maybe I'll, do it. Maybe I'll take care of a picture and put it, up, put it up here. You know, when they do those promotional or advertising for food and things like that, if you're not familiar with it, a lot of times uh, people that... Uh, take pictures, photographers for uh, food companies, they use other substances in order to portray something. Like ice cream, a lot of times ice cream was, uh, if you're portraying ice cream, they use butter. Because butter holds up the room temperatures. You don't have to, you don't have to shoot the picture in a freezing room or worry about the product melting unless you want to take a picture of melted ice cream. 
And there's all sorts of different substances you can do, use to make it look at, because you don't need it to taste like that because it's only a visual representation. So people don't really understand when you post a picture. All I have to do is make it to look like it's that item. And I have to, I guess I have to approximate exactly what it looks like. But when I'm making a drink, a lot of times I have to, they ask for exact ingredients. And if you've been bartending for a while, you know, it's kind of like a chef. A chef doesn't uh, necessarily, unless they're making a big batch, right? If you're making a single item, they just kind of wing it. And I'm not saying I have the, the skills of a chef and all that stuff, but I, I'm pretty good at it. So when I put the ingredients in, I had, they asked me to boil it down. You know, a tablespoon of ice cream, a teaspoon of peanut butter, uh, two ounces of vanilla vodka, uh, an ounce of chocolate liqueur. And I put a little ice in it to thin it out. Right? So you just need peanut butter and ice cream and this. It'd be very thick. So I use ice. So you get ice chips and it kind of thins out the drink. So you make it more desirable. A lot of times people don't put that in. You just end up with this thick, goopy martini, which, yeah, sometimes people like. But they, most people tend to like to experience their drinks as if they're drinking liquid, not goo. So I sent that to him, and I sent a specific one. But when you're, it's one of those drinks that you find your own recipes for, just like a martini. No one makes a martini the same way. And you just got to remember that when you make it. When you get a hold of making your uh, drink, such as this particular one I sent in, that once you got a handle on it, you're just going to be winging it from then on after you made it. Just like you do when you make your mom's uh, you know, apple pie. Uh, hopefully, you're not, well, you could be one of those people that are always sticking to it, directly to the formula, which it's foolproof, but it doesn't add any nuances for something to improve, right? If you don't start messing with recipes, it's always going to stay the same. And that may be the way you want to keep the same, same recipe that your grandmother made. Or you can say, well, it's kind of like my grandmother's, but I changed it a bit because of, you know, ingredients change. The, the nature of ingredients change, meaning butter's a little different than it used to be years ago. I mean, eggs, there's, um, they were, nowadays you have free range eggs, you have organic eggs and things like that. And a lot of these recipes were made when the eggs were very highly processed. Because eggs aren't naturally white. They're kind of dyed to look that way. Not dyed to look that way. I guess they're kind of bleached to look that way. So everything changes. And even chip, chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate chip cookies don't taste the same. There's things I've had, well, uh, snacks as a kid. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed toaster strudel when I was a kid. I swear to God, it tastes completely different now. It's a Pillsbury product. No insult to Pillsbury. I know they had to change their ingredients and stuff like that, probably to make it more cost effective, but it doesn't taste anything like it used to to me. But that could be my taste changing. 
But I do, I, for some reason, I can't, this nagging thing in the back of my head that it's changed. That's it for now. I'm just talking about those drinks. When you learn how to make a drink and you got it down, it's all right, like I said, to make it your own by just winging it. And if you can make it consistently good, but not consistently exactly the way, sometimes I have a little more chocolate, sometimes I have a little more ice cream, sometimes I have a little more peanut butter, right? Or a little more ice, a little less ice. And that's, that's perfectly fine. Moving on right now, I wanted to talk about real quick about our website, Keys Bartender, www.keysbartender.com. If you go there, we now have gear for sale. If you go and check under the drop down, see gear. It's ran by, um, there's, there's buy buttons for all the objects here. We got t shirts, bunch of different sizes, tank tops. I think we have a, we do have a hoodie. We do have a, a wine um, mug a coffee mug, and a water jug, and hat, and maybe two different hats. I guess I should know exactly, but it's all powered by Shopify, and this is a secure website, so if you'd like to purchase any Keys Bartender items, and you want to show your support to the show, or you want to show your support for the show, please purchase there, and it'll come out to you probably within a week and a half. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Going to, I'm going to talk about Hurricane Adalia. It's something about the map in this time of year. When you see the tropical storm systems maps, that on one side there was Frank, and that was in between Florida and Bermuda heading north. And we had Adalia, which came up pretty quick from uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, near that general area, and moved across Cuba. Cuba and hit the Big Bend, they call the, uh, the uh, right at the beginning of the Florida Panhandle. And it came up, we got hit, uh, Florida got hit, I'm not going to say we got hit, it was much northern than we are. But when you see these storms, we put a lot of trust, This we do put a lot of trust in the hurricane models, because there was virtually none of the models tracked it to South Florida. And then when people outside our area sees these hurricanes, they don't see how, I guess they don't seize upon the idea that hurricane's going to uh, strike. They don't seize upon the idea of the tracks and how important the tracks are and how much we trust. We have faith in the predictions of these hurricanes. And they're pretty good. They're pretty good. They're generally, generally a, a, you know, in the general vicinity of where they're saying they're going to hit and where they're going to affect. And sometimes they over-exaggerate the effect if it's skimming by. But rarely do they miss out on the probability that you could get hit. And the last couple ones, the last, well, ever since I've been here for 16 years, they've been pretty good at calling close ones. When you say close ones, like if they miss. And they warn you, just, just in case, there's, there's a low probability, but there's still a probability. A lot of times, they will, warn, they will keep the worst case scenario uh, on the front burner so you know what could happen. And uh, Adalia did uh, hit, hit land. It, hit, uh, it developed up to a four, but when it hit, it quickly devolved into a hurricane category three, which... They just say, hey, listen, it's going to hit as a four. 
And that's exactly what they said. They they knew beforehand it was going to rapidly, rapidly intensify when it went north of Cuba. And then it would go bypass the Keys, kind of loop a little slightly to the west and then continue north back into Florida across uh, at the beginning of the panhandle into Oh, I'm going to have to take this phone call. I think it's my doctor following up. I'll be back. Okay, yeah, we're back. Yeah, I had to take that phone call, but I was talking about the hurricane. So, yeah, there's a lot of trust that goes into accepting the forecast models that are out there. And it may be a little solace to the people that get hit, but it does give us that extra time to really do something about it. And there are people, as the reports are coming in, there were at least... 150 people that needed to be rescued uh, during that. And that's, I guess it's a general possibility. But when there, when I see storm surges, uh, I'm at a place where I'm 12 feet above. I, I think uh, 12 feet above sea level. So if they said 9 to 12, I would just take that because that's 9 to 12 above sea level. And that's not 9 to 12 above high tide, I think. I would just assume that. But once it gets up to something like that, I don't I don't hang around. Now, when they call for two to three, uh, I'm pretty safe. And if it's, you know, category one and we get buttoned up, we can do that. So that's generally what Floridians are looking at. They're not looking at the proximity of the hurricane all the time. They're looking at the tracks. So when you have one on the left and one on the right... And it's going to go by you uh, about 200 miles away. And uh, the eyes are 200 miles away. And generally, the, the hurricane force winds are within 30, 30 40 miles, uh, let's say, per se, if it's not a, you know enormous one. You feel pretty safe that if you're 200 miles away, it's not going to hit. And yeah, we're confident in that. Uh, and, but if it starts getting closer, yeah. You got to keep an eye to the, the the storm tracks and the models, and then you go and scoot to safer high ground. Where my one that I my go to one is Lake Lakeland, Florida, and the, the old Lakeland Hotel there. I like I like it there. I wonder if it's still there. If we have to evacuate this year, because we're still um, we're just getting into the thing of it. We don't have anything for the next week, week and a half coming up. But that could change very quickly. Something develop and stuff like that, and then we'll we'll be looking at uh, like mid September or late September. So, and then we have to get through. That's right. Mid September is like peak now. So we we go all the way to December, but it starts trailing off. Just because it's in hurricane season doesn't mean the likelihood of a hurricane to hit you is that. So if we get through the next month month and a half, let's say, generally the chances drop off. You know, it's not one of those things where we're going to have like a million hurricanes. Hopefully there's not like a time where we get like three or four hurricanes lining up to come in. Finally, it's time to talk about the thing. I had uh, a, wait, I have all the paperwork here and what I had done. And what I had done was had two stents put in in one artery. I think two stents put in one artery. And uh, what 
here they they wrote it all out this stuff and what they went into make it quick they went through my wrist the the veins in my wrist not through my groin area though it was funny yesterday they started they they shaved the arms the lower arms and stuff like that to get you know the hair away but they also shaved that area uh, the groin area, and I'm thinking, oh man, you know, there's something about getting a wire stuck in that area that kind of makes you like a little more squeamish than getting it through the wrist. Like the wrists are pretty bad, and also they did it without um, general anesthesia. They did it with local, even though supposedly the doctor said I fell asleep during the procedure. So before I start and get lost in the minutiae of what happened, I'm not going to get lost in it. I want to thank a bunch of people. First, I want to thank uh, the service dog. There was a service dog in the waiting room, a seven-year-old corgi named Belle. And I guess that, well, I mean, I know what happens. I get more relaxed. It kind of reduces your anxiety before. I had a little. I had a little, but I didn't have any coffee. They, You know, the night before they tell you, uh, no eating or drinking after 12 o'clock, except for taking water for the medication I have to take. And, and when I got the booklet after, you know, the booklet I got from them, book, uh, pamphlet or papers, uh, they, they have all the detailed instructions. It's actually you could eat up to six hours before. So I would have been able to have a light meal at seven, you know, six o'clock. But I understand why they do the 12 o'clock. They say you can have a, a clear liquid two hours before and in, in the information packet I get and light food six hours before and a meal eight hours before. But since my surgery wasn't scheduled to one o'clock and if it started a little early, let's say 1230, and I think it did, um, they just wanted to give you a little leeway. They say, listen, just listen to us. 12 o'clock. So, you know, when you're getting anesthesia, they don't want you to have food in your stomach or have to have any intestinal distress. So I follow that. So I didn't have any coffee. And I think that reduced the anxiety. But if I did have an anxiety, Corgi, the Corgi Bell, the cute little dog, uh, and I guess I should have got the owner's name. The owner goes to all the facilities, all the different Baptist facilities. And we were talking to her and she does that. I think it, it, it was nice. It was nice. And then I got involved with all the uh, medical staff, which was, they were wonderful. I had Julissa, Yiska, Uday, um, my homegirl, Mechi. I have to say that. She said to introduce her that way. In, introduce her as a homegirl, Mechi. Um, she's... Uh, she was my attending nurse as well as Jalissa and uh, Yiska. And then there was the guy, uh, Kevin, Kevin Dean, who took me out in a wheelchair when it was done. The, um, the people in the operating room was Kevin, Frank, Patrick. There were attending nurses there, I think, and OR techs. And then we had Dr. Lopez Salabria who performed it. The funny thing is they do a little briefing before the, you know, if you, most of us have had surgeries. 
I've had most of my experience in the medical uh, world in being a patient in the last three years. One with the removal of a, a, a benign cyst that could have became cancerous. Uh, that was an ordeal over a year. This was a much shorter ordeal. It's funny, the heart thing, where all the heart thing. I had a benign cyst that took over about 13 months to get removed. Uh, Ten schedulings that either were scheduled and rescheduled and stuff like that. And that was all anxiety and stuff like that. This wasn't as much because obviously the heart attack I had in March was I wasn't planned for. And I was flown up there and they gave me all the briefing. I had a bunch of uh, follow-up things after that when they put in my defibrillator and then they mentioned the uh, in, you know the inclusion the blockage in my artery and there was a reason uh, the reason why they didn't do it at the time I think is because there was a lot of things going on in, in the inclusion they after analysis they said the inclusion did not cause my afib but it would if it was clear, it would have reduced the chance of having AFib. Hmm. That you know, which I don't understand the full ramifications of that, but there was a reason for it. So that was up. That was March 9th. Yesterday was August. So that's uh, three months, five, five, five and a half months later. Five, about five and a half months later, I had this done, and. Uh, it was, it was great. And then in the briefing, though, you you get, even though I was getting information every time I went to the cardiologist and we were planning this thing, the warning you get on the day of is more detailed than the warning you get leading up to it. Because there was, you know, they got to hit you with all the chances. It's just like when you get uh, a dr- when there's a drug uh, advertised uh, a commercial, they have to take all the possible side effects or the things that could happen while you are taking the drugs. And the same thing happened with the um, surgery. You know, originally I thought it was going to be uh, you know three percent chance of something serious, the uh, wrong could occur. During the surgery, and here they said it's much less. It was it was approaching one percent. They said because of the, uh, and then I found out my blockage was a much older than it was, which is kind of interesting. So um, I didn't know I had it. Oh, they didn't go and label it. So, but I assume that they mean years. I had this blockage. So. What they did is they went in, they unblocked it, put in two stents in that one artery, I guess because it was a long blockage, and they opened up the uh, they opened up that artery. I actually feel a bit differently about it. Uh, meaning I, um, I don't really feel anything, which is actually a good thing. I guess because I had bypasses and stuff like that. But I, w- I was really grateful for everyone that cared for me, especially especially the nurses. I spoke a lot to to um, Mechie and uh, Julissa. And Mechie is her nickname. I didn't get her what her real name is. And Julissa, it, I work at Baptist too. And I made, 
originally on the first day, they said, what do you like to be called? And they said, Jim. And on all your employee, you know, you, you wouldn't get that in the military if you got an ID. And they said, well, what do you like to be called? A slappy McBride. No, no, your name is Donald. You're private first class Donald McBride. You can't put, we can't put slappy on your ID card. But yet they would put slappy McBride on your ID card at, at um, Baptist Hospital, which is kind of cool. Kind of like that. It takes a little off that you put your, your nickname on it. But the, the, the staff uh, that I was dealing with, it, it was funny when you go into pre-op because you have all these people that are having either vascular surgeries or heart cardiac surgeries going on. And um, you, you can see it's kind of more relaxed when you expect it. They had one particular, they had a, uh, a code going on when I was post-op resting. And fortunately, they didn't put me in a room. I like being in the general area. If you're only going to be there a couple hours, they're going to put me up in a room. Because whenever they put you up in a room, even if it was for like four or five hours, there's a possibility that they're going to keep you overnight. And I think they were considering keeping me overnight because we are about close to 50 miles away from the hospital. But uh, as I said, I went into uh, the surgery. Uh, surgery. Julissa, uh, Julissa got me ready. And they, uh, Patrick took me up to the, uh, over to the surgery area. And uh, I got in there. It looked similar to the two, uh, the, the one I went to to get the, my defibrillator put in when I had the heart attack in March. And they had a big screen. And when they go in through your wrist, most of the time, they don't use a general anesthetic. They use a local. So uh, I felt I felt them going into the veins a little, but I didn't I didn't really do it. And I thought I was awake the whole time because I thought I was listening. And there was a possibility because of the blockage that they wouldn't get through it. There was a possibility, and the doctor said there was a possibility, and there were maybe a uh, a need to go in uh, up to. Three times, meaning counting yesterday's and two more times, two se- two more separate occasions to clear the blockage. But fortunately, they did that. And what I do remember, I wasn't, you know, when you're getting a general an- anesthesia instead of a local general, you're just counting down from like five and you're out. This one, I, I, I thought I was awake because I heard them talking. Maybe a, they said I was asleep. But I heard, I heard them talking. I heard um, Dr. Lopez uh, Salabria saying, uh, I hear about uh, balloon sizes and, and the sizes of the stents that they were putting in. And I know when he got to the stents that they had got through the blockage because there was no reason to put in a stent. Yeah, I knew enough about that. I knew that if they got through the blockage, they were going to put in a stent. There's no reason to put in a stent if they didn't go through the blockage because it was just opening up the artery. And when I heard that, I think that's when I kind of just signed out and said, well, there's no reason to pay attention now. They're going to take care of this. And uh, yeah, I guess I fell asleep a little, which is funny. You know, in a local, I was relaxed enough and I didn't need any additional, you know, they didn't hit me with a heavy end. I didn't come out uh, 
too heavy, but I did have a slight headache. And it wasn't one, a headache wasn't one of the things you had to watch out for because I had a headache yesterday afternoon, a headache last night. And I'm hanging out there, you know, when you're in post-op and you're ready to go home, you think, wow, I just want to go. But they were really kind of concerned because of the, the way they went into the veins and the wrist. They were worried about bleeding because they had pre- pressure bandages on it. I'm not trying to gross you out or stuff like that, but they wrapped up my wrist with bandages when I was released, uh, Mechi. And I was feel kind of self-conscious about it because it looked, you know, it's just you're having your having your wrist, coming out of the hospital with your wrist wrapped up, just your wrist whacked, wrapped up, give a certain image. And I don't want to talk about it because it's kind of sad, but uh, I didn't really want anybody seeing me. I wanted as quick as I can get those off, but they kind of told me that, the bandages they put on after they took off the predator bandage, they needed to be there for at least overnight. And uh, I couldn't for like the next three to five days. These are the directions. And I'm really good at following directions now because I don't want to have to... uh, Listen, I don't want to be out of action for a long time, but I also don't want to have to go back to the hospital because I didn't listen to the doctor's orders. So that... That was the thing I had to do. And today I'm taking the bandages off. And one of them started not fountaining blood, but started going out. And I said, oh, well, this is the reason. They don't want me to push off and stuff. I'm on blood thinners. They're going to say they're going to, uh, the doctor said, I'm going in for a reevaluation uh, in approximately a little less than two weeks. And then they're going to evaluate, you know, maybe some of the medic medicine. It'd be nice if they reevaluated the defibrillator. Uh, if they just zip me over and cut me up and say, "Oh, we're going to take that out." Pop. Here you pop. You know, just cut it out because it's right under my skin. But I don't think they're going to do that because it's probably it's a serious, you know. And they, I don't think uh, what they would probably do is if in 13 years or 12 years when they have to change the battery and saying, well, listen, we don't think anything's going to happen here, so we're just going to, uh, you know, if we're going in to change the battery, we might as well just take the whole thing out. And you think that's a possibility going? It could be. If there was no AFib going on, no blockages, I would just say, hey, yeah, instead of changing the battery, just take it out. See how that is. See how that works. (laughs) But once again, I'd like to thank everyone at Baptist and thank all uh, the well-wishers. I, I posted some pictures of, uh, on my Facebook page going in and going out. If you were listeners or friends, they knew about it. Some people saw it. And they said, what happened to you? And I said, well, no, this has been going on for five months. And uh, now I'm, I'm feeling good. I feel a little more energy. I don't know if it's a fictitious thing or, or not. It could be because... I'm getting a little more blood flow going in, or com- I think it's the uh, blood flow going into the heart. But the more blood flow you get, generally, the better you- it is for you. And some people are mentioning and say, "Oh, your color's a bit better." But I mean, I was doing this for a while. I wonder what that's all about. Maybe, maybe I'll look a, more, a little more flush, like a one of those older Irish guys do. But once again, I, I know I've been very thank you. And uh, thank you to all the listeners who have been uh, sending me well, well wishes on my birthday and all those things. 
And uh, remember, go to www.keysbartender.com to bartender gear if you'd like to support the show by purchasing the items that we have for sale. Hats, mugs, wine mugs, uh, you know, coffee mugs, wine mugs, t-shirts, blah, blah, blah. So thank you very much and have a great day. Bye.